0: important things in life. Love God, love people. The Bible's entire focus is love. It's one of the greatest love stories ever told. It tells a story of a God who is love, who shows us what love looks like so that we can love him back and then bring that love to others around us. Everything we do as followers of Christ hinges on those two commandments, love God, love people, because it's love that's foundational to every relationship we have. And the Christian faith is built on relationships. That's, that's its foundation. First, our relationship with God. And then secondly, our relationship with one another. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And he says, let there be light. And he saw that it was good. Then he said, Let the waters under heaven be gathered under one place. He called the dry land earth. He called the waters the seas. And he saw that it was good. Then he said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. And the earth brought forth plants and trees bearing fruits and seeds. And God saw that it was good. God separated the light from the darkness to make night and day. And he saw that it was good. God said, Let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth in the expanse of the heavens. And he saw that it was good. Then he said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And he made the beasts of the earth. And he saw that it was good. Then he said, Let's make man in our image after our own likeness. And so he created man in his own image. And he puts the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. And he sees that the man is alone. And the Lord says, It is not good for man to be alone. See, God's a relational being. And we're made in his image. We're made to be relational. Relationship is a part of our DNA, it's a part of our design. We function best when we're in relationships with others. And that first and most important relationship that we have is between us and the Father. It affects everything else in our lives, it's the foundation upon which everything else rests and is built upon. And this is what we see in Genesis, too. The first question God asks in scripture occurs after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit from the tree of knowledge. And then they go and they hide. Then the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? You see, God doesn't need to actually ask questions to gain information. He already knew where they were. The purpose of the question was to make Adam think. See, what God's question really tells Adam is two things. Adam, you're lost. Do you recognize that you're lost? You know, if a friend calls you, they're coming to your house, and you give them directions, and they call you and say, I'm lost. Well, you're gonna, your first question to them is going to be, well, where are you? Because I can't help you get to me unless I know where you are. And that's kind of what this question is about, is Adam, Do you know where you are? Do you know your place before me now that you've broken our relationship? And then the second thing that God's question tells Adam, I've come to find you. I have come to find you. I know you're lost, and I'm coming looking for you. You see, when Adam sinned, he became lost in regard to his relationship with the Father. That's how we all come into the world. Lost, that same way. And yet God asks every one of us the same question. Where are you? It's not for his benefit. He asks it for ours. He's seeking after you. He's come to find you. He loves you with an unrelenting love. A sacrificial love. A love so great that he sacrificed himself to restore his relationship to you. He came graciously to Adam and Eve. He sought them out in love. They were hiding from him because they were afraid. They had covered themselves with fig leaves to hide their shame. But God responds in love. As I was reading through this story this week over and over, and all I kept thinking of was a number of times that, as a mom, I went to my kids And after the 50th time of telling them not to do something, and they would do it anyway, and not responding in love, but coming into a situation saying, what did you do? Are you kidding me? But God doesn't do that. And I mean, the contrast in my head was just overwhelming. The Lord came to them in such love and such care. Where are you? He said, Where are you? I've come to find you. I've come to help you. How do you respond when God asks, Where are you? Are you hiding? Are you hiding from Him? Are you trying to cover up your lack of relationship with Him with fig leaves made out of your good deeds? Say, Oh, I do this, I do this, I do this. And meanwhile, your relationship with the Father is hurting. But you just keep putting all these fig leaves over to cover up. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He knows exactly where you're at. He's seeking you, he's calling out to you. Where are you? The answer is God, I am lost. Lord, I am lost. I am a sinful, sinful person. Let him know that you need him. Let him know that you need his forgiveness. You see, we spend our lives searching for meaning, for purpose. We're looking for security and attention in love. But those things only come from our Father, We can't fully grasp God's love for us until we admit that we're lost, until we admit that we need a Savior, that we're in need of his guidance and his direction in our lives, until we let go, until we learn to say, I can't take it anymore. Here, take it from me. Don't let me take it back. Listen to Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks, but I do more than thank. I ask, ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength the greatest relationship that you will ever have is with the Father. It's eternal. It's infinite. Our love for him grows as we get to know him more. And as God reveals his love for us through our prayer times, through his word, we can't help but just love him more. Our love for him should just keep growing and growing and growing. And our God is faithful to keep revealing himself as long as we keep searching. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what he prayed. He prayed that the Lord would continue to reveal his love. Listen to what he said. O oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. Don't miss the importance of this because the quality of your relationship with God affects the quality of all your relationships. Your relationship with God should take priority over everything, all things. It's the love that spills out of that relationship with God that motivates us. It's driving us, it's compelling us to think outside ourselves and work for his purposes, not ours. Because if your relationship with God is weak, if it's not making an impact in your life, then your relationships with others are going to be weak and you'll have no impact on others. Two of God's first questions to mankind. The first to Adam and Eve, he asked, where are you? That deals with our relationship with God. And then earlier in our reading about Cain following Abel's murder, God asked, where is your brother? That deals with our relationship with one another. Again, God already knows the answer. He poses the question for Cain to think. To which Cain replies... I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? A rather flippant response. Kind of bravado there, standing before the creator of the universe and being that flippant. But what it was, was an indication of the state of his heart. And the state of his relationship with God. But you know what? We really can't be too horrified at his response. Because we do similar things when we make excuses for our sin. It's like making an apology followed by a but statement. I'm sorry, but you made me do it. I'm sorry, but this. I'm sorry, but... And any number of excuses follow up. Or sometimes seeking approval for our sinful behavior. On the road trip I mentioned earlier on Thursday when we missed the turn and we realized we were going to be driving 40 miles north only to come 40 miles south again and one of the things on the turnpike is there's all those turnarounds but all those turnarounds have the sign that say for authorized vehicles only and so as we're driving and I'm sitting there frustrated and stewing and I said, well, Jay, look, there's some turnarounds. And he says, yeah, but that's for authorized vehicles. And I said, yeah, but. And then he said, well, do you want me to take that turn? And I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't tell him to do it. But I wanted him to do it, but I couldn't tell him to do it. And so for 40 miles north, we're sitting here, and he's saying, well, I can't take that turn. Do you want me to take that turn? And I'm saying, no, I can't tell you to do that, you do what you want. Meanwhile, the two of us are are looking for the other to say, okay, do it, looking for that excuse, but neither one of us would step into that role. That's what this is, this is Cain doing that exact same thing. He's saying, who, what, me? No, it's not my fault. And that's what the two of us were doing. So by the time we had traveled the 40 miles, we hit a rest stop and we turned around anyway, so we didn't have to do the illegal turn but there was just that back and forth of, well, I can't tell you to do it, but I want you to do it. (laughs) I just want you to be the the sinful one, not me. And he was waiting for me to say, you know, you do it, because he knew he didn't want to, but if his wife was telling him to do it, he was going to do it. Those are the excuses. That's the rationalization that we do with ourselves. Oh, well, if someone else tells me to do it, even though God said, no, then it must be okay. We do that in the church. Do you know how many times I've had people come to me and say, well, um, I know that Scripture says this, but this is what I want to do. Is it okay? No. Well, what if? What if I do it this? If if I just, you know, they just try to work the system. No. If God says no, 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 we can't rationalize it away. But let's get back to Cain's question: Am I my brother's keeper? In other words. What he was saying was, it is no concern of mine how others fare. Certainly not the words of hard-heartedness that should pass through the follower of Christ's mouth. One who has a growing relationship with the Lord. No, that should not come out of our mouth. So the answer would be, yes, we are our brother's keeper. Now, But before I talk about what that means, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. When we say we are a brother's keeper, every man and woman will still stand before God responsible for their own stuff. Okay, You cannot stand before someone else. You cannot vouch. The only one that can do that is Jesus. You cannot vouch for your sister. You cannot vouch for a brother, a mother, father. You can't do it. They will stand before God for their stuff. And the second thing is, every man and woman must also secure their own salvation through Jesus Christ. You cannot pray someone into salvation through your prayers. No, they have to make that decision themselves to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. Lord, I need you as Lord of my life. Okay, so when we're talking about brother's keeper, It's not those things, okay? To be our brother's keeper means that because of the love of God in us, because of our relationship with God being first in our lives, we can put the interest of others first before our own. It's having the attitude of Christ. This is how Paul described it to the Philippians. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Christ. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We're spiritually responsible to God for others. We are his witnesses in the world. So when we let our relationship with God slip, when we turn away even slightly from God in our own lives, the people around us suffer as well. And if we allow selfishness and carelessness to creep in, the people around us suffer. If we experience a spiritual weakness and lower our moral standards, those that are around us suffer from it as well. See, we forget the power of our witness and our testimony of God's grace in our lives. Because if all of that is diminished then we're less effective. That's when people start to say, oh, those Christians, they're hypocrites. They say this, but then they do this. Oh, they say they believe this, but then they do this. And we're all hypocrites to some degree. I mean, but walk the talk. Okay? Don't just talk it. Walk it. Walk it. Because as God's children As recipients of his gift of grace, we have a responsibility to those around us. At the pastor's conference on Thursday, the topic was about discipleship and all about the impact that we have on those that walk side by side with us in life. And there were stories of the discipleship that occurred because someone else was being a witness because someone else was just being an example of Christ's love. There were stories of challenges, and there were stories of pain that occurred during the course of those relationships. But there were stories of victory, and there were stories of healing in those examples, because one of them in the relationship had a healthy and growing relationship with Jesus, and that was the key factor one of the leaders shared a story about how she had come to a meeting with a friend who she thought it was going to be a, a really nice meal. let's plan you know, some events together. And this friend came to her with fingers pointing, well, you did this, and you did this, you hurt me with this, and you did this, to which this particular leader, she just ended up in tears. She felt like she had been sucker punched in, in the whole bit. But she took it to God She took it to God The one relationship in her life that mattered the most That's where she took it She didn't go to another person to gossip She didn't go to another church member to say Oh look, look what so and so did Can you believe this? No, she took it to the Lord And the Lord spoke to her and said You know what you have to do If you're a follower of me This is what you're going to do And so she went back and took a humble position before this friend and apologized for things and didn't make any excuse. never said, I'm sorry, but she just said, I'm sorry. I hurt you. I'm sorry. That's all she said. And they actually had a healing of their relationship because God was first in someone's life. God was first. That relationship was growing and vital and vibrant. And so she could go to the Lord instead of going outside of him and saying, Lord, what do I do? Listen to these words of Oswald Chambers. Why has God left us on the earth? Is it simply to be saved and sanctified? No, it is to be at work in service to him. Am I willing to be broken bread and poured out wine for him? Am I willing to be of no value to this age or this life except for one purpose and one alone, to be used to disciple men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ? My life of service to God is the way I say thank you to him for his inexpressibly wonderful salvation. Remember, it is quite possible for God to set any of us aside if we refuse to be of service to him. Jesus is our model of what it looks like to love God with all our hearts, minds, and soul and to love our brothers and sisters. 1 John 3.16 We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's what it means to be my brother's keeper. 1 John 4, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, where are you? God seeks us out. He pursues us to restore our relationship with him. Jesus came to restore relationships, us to the Father and us to one another. In this way, we can pursue healthy relationships around us. In fact, God commands us to pursue relationships with others. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. We're commanded to be our brother's keeper. but to obey the law of Christ, to share one another's burdens. We can only do it when we're in relationship. And we can only be in relationship if our relationship with the Father is healthy and growing. If our relationship with God is is off kilter, then everything else will be too. If you're wondering why you struggle in relationships with others, Try putting your relationship with the Father first in your life. Make it a priority. Not just here Sunday morning. Not just on Wednesday night Bible study. But you and the Lord every day. Is he first in your life? Because your love for God is foundational for your love for others. For your spouse, for your friends, for your children. It matters. If we want to be an impactful church, if we want to make a difference, if we want to love in ways that matter, we have to grab hold of the one who loved us first. If our lives feel stuck, if our lives just feel stalled out, look to the Father. Here I'm asking, where are you? Where are you? And say, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I can't do it. I can't do it myself. And then when the Lord follows up with the other question, where is your brother? Where is your sister? We can look at our lives and we can say, there's my brother, there's my sister. We can look every day and see who our brother and sister are because that's who we're loving in response to his love for us. Holy, Holy Lord, we thank you for our time today. Lord, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you for your love, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the ultimate act of love, Father. May we recognize that our lives are are an offering back to you, that our lives should be lived in service to you, Lord, by loving others, those that you put in our path. Help us to see who our brothers and sisters are if we're struggling with it, Lord. Help us to see the brothers and sisters that are in and out of our path every single day so that we can shine the light of Christ, so we can share your love, your mercy, and your grace with them, Father. Lord, teach us to be our brother's keeper. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.